0: doing these four evenings it's not a replacement of the evening services it's not a replacement of preaching we're just conscious having responded to the questionnaires um, responding to a number of things that a number of you have said that we really want to help provide some times in the week for sort of training and there's certain things you can do in different teaching styles that you can't do so easily when you're kind of preaching from the front and um, also appreciating there are different ways that people learn and sometimes working groups together um, helps certain people So we really hope and pray that these four evenings are going to be useful. Um, I think we've got a couple, then an evening of prayer and praise and communion, and then the other two. Um, But hopefully it will dovetail into what we're doing in the mornings. Um, Neil's going to kick off a new series next week, which we're looking forward to, looking at the I Am sayings in John, uh, Great Claims of Who Jesus Is. And that will fit in, hopefully, with um, the reading the Bible one-to-one, which we heard of last week and this morning, um, that Neil's sort of leading and encouraging um, with the help of Wellesley. And so as we look at John's Gospel together uh, in the mornings, as we read John's Gospel with friends and family, and then as we do these evenings, I hope the whole thing will sort of come together and we'll have a greater confidence in um, God's Word. We're not uh, studying God's Word because we worship God's Word, we worship Jesus, but God's Word points us to Jesus and we want to have a greater confidence in the Scriptures so that we can all be pastors in different ways, we can all teach others, um, and we all want to get to know Jesus better. And and we do that by understanding partly the scriptures better. Um, So particularly the next four um, evenings, uh, the next four sessions, they're really designed to help us to have a growing confidence in understanding God's word. Because I think we've got a great heritage as a church. We understand why we're committed to teaching God's word. But it might be helpful just to take a step back and ask why. Why do we take this as authority? Um, How do we read it? Is it really relevant? Is it really clear in what it says in the 21st century? Because these are things that are challenging God's word in the media and in society all the time. And I really pray that we'll have greater confidence after these sessions. Um, I also appreciate that we're a pretty diverse bunch. Um, A bit of a gamble kind of working out the best way to do this. But I hope that the material I've prepared will be useful to all of us. I guess for some people here, this will be the first you've ever heard of almost any of this. Um, Can I just encourage you, don't worry about all the detail and all the content. If you go away from these four evenings just having more confidence that God's word is trustworthy, then I think that's mission accomplished, you've done a great thing, and that would be brilliant for you. Some here, perhaps, you've done a bit more Bible study, you're a bit more familiar, and some of these things you've heard before, uh, maybe this will just give you some confidence, perhaps to engage with your sceptical friends a bit more and have a bit more of an understanding so you don't feel so out of your depth. And some here would have done years and years of study, you'll be well-read, you Perhaps the stuff that we're going to bring out, nothing will be new to you. Uh, My challenge to you is there's a big difference between knowing stuff and being able to explain it to others really simply. Uh, A lot of people know stuff, but I think the ability to explain truths simply is a sign that you really understood them. So perhaps use these four evenings to consolidate what you already know and think, how can I now use this to equip and train others? Um, That's where we want to go. Um, So what we're going to do in a moment is um, move around the room. Um, If you don't like who you're sitting next to, uh, remember my sermon from two weeks ago um, love, grace, friendship. If you really don't like who's sitting next to you, you can move. Um, we're going to get into little groups around the room. Um, feel free to go with different people. Um, just be aware of who's in your group, and, and some of the older Christians here might want to look out for some groups. But we're going to move into groups. You can be in pairs, you can be in bigger groups. Feel free to move the chairs around. And then I'm going to lead some stuff from the front. There'll be some group work to do. Um, I'm going to ask Matthew, have you got your trainers on, Matthew? You always wear your trainers, which means you can run fast. Matthew's going to be our runner with the microphone, so when we have Bible verses read out, Matthew's going to leg it around with this, and uh, he can hold it up to you and you can read, just so we can all hear. But that's what we're going to do, and we'll go for about 40 minutes, uh, maybe 50 minutes, depending on how we go. Um, I hope that's okay. Uh, Let me pray for us all, and then um, we'll move around the room and uh, find a space where we want to work. Loving Father, we have just sung that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. And to help us understand why that's the case, I pray that tonight as we look at how the Bible was put together, uh, all the things that have happened so that your words have become written words for us to have in our hands, I pray that we go away from here tonight understanding the incredible privilege we have to have the Bible in our own language. And I pray that we go away with a greater confidence that we can trust that what we have in the Bible is your word to us today. So please help us now. Help me to explain some of these difficult things clearly. Please help us to work hard in our groups and to help each other. And I pray that we'd enjoy our time together now. Amen. Great, let's move around. Just what you're comfortable with. Maybe threes, fours, fives, a little bit bigger. Just so you feel you can read and relate to each other. If you're up the top, you might want to come down or gather up the top. It's up to you. Great, let's, uh, let's make a start. I hope we've all got a seat, or more or less a seat. Um, on the screen, there's some of the questions that um, we're going to answer. There are actually questions a number of you asked us to answer in the questionnaires, things that you wanted to think through. So we're going to think about some of those things and a few other things this, uh, this evening. Um, But to kick us off, um, what is the Bible? It's a weird book in many ways, isn't it? This is a book, I believe, has got about 800,000 words, uh, 23,000 verses. It was written by over 40 authors, um, primarily in two two languages, uh, over a period of quite a few years. It's an extraordinary book. Um, I did a bit of work with the the guys in the discipleship group recently and um, one of the things I said to them is one of the dangers that we often have when we come to reading God's word is we treat it a bit like the yellow pages where we kind of have a Bible we don't really know our way around but we kind of use it as a bit of a concordance and say we want to know something about money well we look up M for money and we read something or we want to look up F for friendship and we read something now that's one way to read God's word and it's an important way of doing it Um, it's what's called systematic theology. This is a big book. It's actually a very easy book to read. There's just loads of writing in it. Um, Systematic theology just means that some people try to sort the Bible out into a system, a way of understanding certain truths. So they get all the stuff in the Bible about friendship and put it in one place. So you can kind of see what the Bible has to say. Now that's a really handy way of learning certain things. Um, But we can't only do that because the problem with that kind of thing, if it's all we ever do, is we also forget that the Bible is actually a story, an amazing story. So you see, you can read the Bible by cutting down the middle certain kind of themes, certain ideas, but you also want to read the Bible this way, like a story. But there comes a problem when you come to reading the Bible as a story because you've probably started thinking with a new ambition one year, I'm going to read the Bible. And you start in Genesis and off you go. And if you manage to wade your way through Leviticus... Uh, and you probably get stuck there. You keep reading. You can't read the Bible from beginning Genesis to Revelation at the end and take it all as kind of chronology in that order because the books aren't all in that order, which is a bit annoying really, isn't it? I think it is anyway. When you read the Bible in terms of chronology, you start at Genesis, you can read through to the end of 2 Kings and that is one story. Genesis through to 2 Kings. It's one continuous story of history But then everything else in the Old Testament fits somewhere in between Genesis and 2 Kings. And the complication is where? Well, we're not going to try and do all that tonight because we'll be here all night. Um, But just to help you, if you do set your ambition of reading through the Bible, when you get to the end of 2 Kings, you then might need a little bit more help to fit the other books of the Bible into that story. Uh, But the amazing thing about it being a story is that as we understand the story, God's story, it's history, his story we can begin to understand how our story fits into his story. That actually we are a part of the big sweep of history. That we're part of God's plan for his world. And that, I should hope, will excite you. And if it excites you, then you'll want to read this because you realise that you are part of God's story. Uh, That's really what the Bible is all about. The Old Testament is really a series of promises, all pointing forward to Jesus... And the New Testament is all about fulfillment, how the stories of the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New. Uh, Now, again, I said it's kind of complicated sometimes reading bits of the Bible. The fourth session we're going to do in a few weeks' time is looking at clarity. Is the Bible really clear? And we're going to do some basic tools on how we can read the Bible so that we read it in a way that is clear. Um, just to encourage you, I've, I've done some fairly, help, fairly extensive notes, which are basically everything I'm saying tonight, and quite a bit more. No way you're going to try and cover it all, but I thought rather than giving it to you, and then you might rush ahead and not be listening and not helping each other in the group, they're here for you to take away at the end. There's some A4 versions, or there's some little A5 versions for people who've got really good eyesight. Um, the idea of that is you can take it away and, and process some of what we've been learning, you can keep thinking about it i put a bit of reading on the back if you're really keen and want to follow things up. Uh, I'll do one of those for each week and then put a sort of thing together at the end of the four weeks because I really hope this will be a resource that you can continue to use in the years to come. That's the plan anyway. Um, great, so we're going to have a look at um, how the Bible is written. So what I'd like you to do, if I divide just roughly group-wise, this sort of group's here. If you can get your Bible and have a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And if you guys and that guys upstairs want to have a look at 2 Peter, chapter 1, to 19-21, 2 Timothy 3.16, and 2 Peter 1, 19-21. Matthew, here's my runner. Someone on this side want to read 2 Timothy 3.16? Stick up your hand and Matthew will come to you. Mark's going to read for us. You've got to find your way around the maze. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We're going to come back and discuss that. And then can we have a reader over here? Uh, 2 Peter 1, 19 to 21. You've got a hard task, Matthew tonight. You might have to jump over chairs, do some acrobatics. Great, Rob's going to read it to us. Which ones was it again? <laughs> Two Peter 1, 19 to 21. <laughs> Thank you. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Brilliant. So just two phrases. The the phrase for this group here to discuss is God-breathed. What's the implication and what do you think it means that scripture is God-breathed? And these groups over here, the phrase was carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's the implication? What do you think that all means? Just have a discussion in your group for a minute or two. God-breathed and carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not going to, we're not going to take lots of feedback because um, we've just got other things we're going to look at tonight, but I hope it's just helpful discussing things in groups. If if something particular gets thrown up tonight and you all just get so confused and you feel like you're the blind leading the blind, uh, make a note of it and um, we'll help you later. Um, but I guess I just want us to understand that the Bible is an extraordinary book because as you can see on the screen, it's both a divine book, it's both written by God, but it's also a human book written by human beings. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Think about it. Um, there's loads that you could read and look at when you look at this phrase God breathed when the Old Testament was translated into Greek because it was originally written in Hebrew um, the phrase here in Timothy God breathed is the same phrase that's used in Genesis for when God breathed life into the nostrils of Adam to give him life so there's something going on about the words that God speaks bring life Um, one of my favourite verses in the whole Bible Moses is speaking to the people at the end of his life and he says take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you, and be careful to obey them, they're not just idle words to you, they are your life. So there's something hugely powerful about the word of God. And it's amazing that this word here that's used in this phrase here, speaking of God's word, God breathed, is the same word about bringing life to dead people. And I did touch on that this morning about bringing spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. It's the same idea. So the Bible is God's word, it's him speaking to us, But it's also a human book, and you've all had a think about what that means, that real human beings have written the Bible, carried along by the Holy Spirit. Well, what's all that about? People have all come up with different interpretations of what that actually means. Let me suggest, it doesn't mean dictation. It wasn't like human human typewriters, where they kind of just closed their eyes and put their hands out, and God just made the hands move, as it were, or the pen move, or the quill, and they wrote. It wasn't like that. God's word never bypasses human personality, never bypasses human understanding. Equally, though, it's not um, accommodation where God has kind of got a general will of what he wants to say, but he finds human beings and sort of says, this is the general gist of what I want you to say, but off you go, right, what you think is a good interpretation of what I've said. That would be a very human book. I think both are wrong. The most helpful phrase is probably thinking about the word supervision, That God in his sovereignty, which is a word that means he's in control of all things, has overseen what has been written. So what we have in the Bible is exactly what he wanted us to read. Now that's difficult to sort of get our head around. I don't think it was so much that God said, right, I need to go to earth and find a human being who will write what I want to write. It was more that God had prepared the right people to write this because he's in complete control. And that is an amazing, amazing miracle in itself. That God can write this through human beings, and that we can trust that everything that's in here is God speaking to us. But it hasn't bypassed the human mind, and so it comes to us in a way that we can understand and relate to. That blows my mind when I think about that, but it's a staggering truth. Um, there's a bit more in the notes here that you can follow up on this, but uh, I hope you understand then. It's a human book, it's a divine book, um, and that's what we need to think through a bit more. But I guess one of the burning questions is how do the different books actually get written down? How do they come to be? Uh, we'll do a little bit on the Old Testament, a bit on the New Testament, and then think a bit more specifically about the detail, because it's particularly the New Testament that people challenge today, and I want to help you to have confidence in it. Um, Just to help you understand this, I wonder if someone, um, and then our runner's going to come to you, someone can look up Genesis chapter 5 verse 1, and somebody else, Exodus 24. First two hands to go up. Yeah, we've got a a hand at the back, John Lilly. John's going to do Genesis 5, and someone over here. Matt, sorry, you've got a really hard task, haven't you? This is just evidence of the Bible being written down very early on. So just listen to what John reads from Genesis 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. There you go, just that. This is the written account of Adam's family line. It's evidence that very early on, the Bible was being written down. Really, really early on. This is kind of before 2,000 years before Christ. Uh, Even much further before that. So the Bible had been written down. Someone from over here? Uh, Exodus 24, Alistair will read it. Sorry, Exodus uh, yeah, 24-7. That would be great. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. There you go. Then he took, can you read the phrase, then he took? Uh, the book of the covenant and read it to the people. Then he took the book of the covenant. Again, what is this book of the covenant? The covenant, words that God has spoken, had begun to be written down and so we see that the Old Testament is beginning to form it's beginning to be written Okay. then about um, 500 years before Jesus uh, before Jesus came uh, the writings that had begun to be written began to be pulled together and they became a bit more established uh, we're going to read from Nehemiah a bit more of a tricky one to find someone in the middle, Simon's going to read it Nehemiah chapter 8 verses 1 to 3 When the seventh month came and the Israelites settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Great. So the book of the law, the law is the Pentateuch. Pent means five, doesn't it? The first five books of the Bible. And that had begun to be written down. Now Ezra, who was a priest, started reading the law that God had given Moses on Mount Sinai to the people. So again, the Old Testament is slowly coming together. It's slowly being written. It's slowly being read. People are becoming familiar with what God has said. And then the writings got gathered together um, around 165 BC. So we're getting closer and closer to Jesus. A, a fellow called Julius Maccabeus, who was a priest, he started gathering all the writings. And he began to get together what we've, almost what we've got as the Old Testament, which is 39 books. And he grouped the Old Testament into what he called the law. That's the first five books, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. And so nearly 39 books had been gathered together. And then by uh, 90 AD, there there you've got it broken down, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And then into the New Testament, about 60 years after Jesus, the final Old Testament canon, that's the collection of Old Testament books, was brought together. And there were 39 of them. And I'm going to talk in a moment about how they were made authoritative. But you can just see, basically, I want you to grasp, forget the detail. The point is, there's been a process that God in his sovereignty has been at work making sure that his spoken word is written for his people. That's all we need to grasp, that there's been a process, God has overseen it. What about the New Testament? Of course, if you look at that diagram there, Jesus lived, uh, died roughly AD 33... So here he is, Jesus. And obviously Jesus spoke to the disciples who became the apostles, plus Matthias who became a replacement for Judas, if you remember, who betrayed Jesus. And Jesus speaks to them, and it's what's called oral tradition. In that society, people could, the spoken word was much more powerful than it is today. People had the ability to listen far longer than they do today. And people had the ability to learn and remember much better than we do today. They were basically better learners. Uh, We've marked up our education system, I think oral tradition so people spoke people learnt and this word that Jesus had spoken began to get passed down but gradually the spoken word got written down so could someone have a look at the beginning of Luke's gospel yeah Kathy's at the front here thanks Matthew Luke at the beginning Luke's a doctor he was writing an account of the life of Jesus based on these eyewitness testimonies, these oral traditions that were passed down. Just listen to what Luke says in the first four verses of his gospel. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write, An orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Great. An orderly account so that you may have certainty. Uh, At least two of the gospel writers, probably three of them, they declare in their gospel the kind of reason why they're written. This is where Luke declares it. John declares it right at the end in chapter 20 of his gospel. Luke declares it at the beginning where he says, I've listened to these eyewitnesses, what they have said, and I wanted to write an orderly account. I wanted to write it down so that you can have certainty. Luke as you read his gospel you'll see he was a doctor he was really interested in the detail his gospel is very long it's full of details because he wants the writers to have certainty he writes to this Roman governor called Theophilus and says Theophilus I want you to have certainty about all the things that people are saying well that is this written narrative here it's beginning to get written down and it leads to the gospels which then get orally passed on remember no printing press so the best way for the message that had been written to be passed on is verbally. People hear this message and they speak it. Any alarm bells going with what we were talking about this morning? Proclamation, speaking. It's exactly what was going on. And then we get the written Gospels that become a bit more fixed. So just uh, back into your groups, just uh, just for 30 seconds, what's the implication of this? How might this encourage you to see that there's been a process that God has overseen to bring our Old Testament or New Testament together? Perhaps you might have a question that has been thrown up. Just chat in your groups for a moment. Um, I I guess what naturally leads on from this is this question. Okay, if this is the process that went on, that there were eyewitnesses who spoke the gospel to each other, then it was written down, then all the different manuscripts were gathered together, it's that fourth picture at the top there, You're probably asking, how was the decision made of which books would get in the Bible and which didn't? That's pretty crucial. Um, So just let's move on. If you read books, you'll see this word canon. It's not talking about the the guns that fired cannonballs out of pirate ships. It's canon that means, uh, it's a word that means kind of rule or standard of measure. So it's a word that speaks of how is it that the decisions were made that certain books got into the Bible and other books didn't get into the Bible and there's all sorts of debates about this today Uh, there shouldn't be because the Bible's been fixed for a long, long time and there's good reasons why the 66 books are in and other books aren't in and that's quite complex but we can talk about it another day we don't need to talk about it now but I'm just going to give you a few criteria which are up there which I hope will encourage you particularly this is now speaking of the New Testament that the books you've got in the New Testament there's 27 of them that they are the word of God other books aren't Okay. the first one is this One of the criteria was, was it written by an apostle? Not all of them were, but 22 of the 27 books were definitely written by an apostle. Now you think of the Luke reading. I wanted to write an orderly account so that you may have certainty. What's the implication of that? That 22 of the 27 books were written by apostles. Who were they? They were eyewitnesses. So you can have great confidence that a massive chunk of the New Testament was written by people who were with Jesus. It's not hearsay, they were people who were there. But also, maybe five of the books weren't written by apostles, but they were written by associates who knew the apostles. Again, what's the implication of that? The same thing. So you can have real confidence. You've got twenty seven books here that weren't written years and years and years after Jesus walked the earth. Chinese whispers and the story changes and then you write them down. You want a book like that? Read something like the Gospel of Thomas. It wasn't discovered until nineteen forty five. Someone wrote it much later. It's not carrying the same authority. So they're the first two criteria, written by an apostle or written by an associate of apostle. You can have confidence in the New Testament. This is the most significant one, though. This might take a bit of grappling. The people who gathered together the New Testament recognized that what they had in front of them carried the authority of God. Remember we said that the the Bible is a a divine book and a human book. One writer has said this, um, The books that ended up in the Bible forced their way into the church by their intrinsic authority. That means the authority they had within themselves. There was just something different about them because they were God-breathed. And these people who gather together God's word noticed that. I don't think it was so much that the people who gathered together would have sat down one day and go, hmm, what should we put in? Let's have a discussion and we'll have that one's in and that one's not in. It was more them saying, which ones can we declare to be authoritative? So it wasn't so much human beings making the decisions, it was more saying, we've tested them, which ones seem to fit? And that carries on to the fourth one here, that all the books that are in the Bible are consistent with the rest of the Bible. In the fourth session we do, we're going to do something on how to read the Bible. One of the most important tools for reading the Bible is reading it in relation to all the other books of the Bible. You get into all sorts of problems when you read God's word, when you take a verse out of its context, ignore all the other things that are written. What these writers did, who gathered together the scriptures, is they tried to find books that were consistent with each other. And some books that didn't seem to fit or had a different emphasis, they weren't included for that reason. So I hope you're getting a picture. We can have real, real confidence in what we've got in our Bibles. along the way uh, we've been really helped by people like him he's a heretic that means he teaches things that aren't true and he has done a great service to the christian faith let me tell you why he comes along in the second century particularly and he starts saying i don't like all of the words of the bible that have been gathered together particularly i don't like the old testament because the old testament is a god of wrath the new testament is a god of love it's rubbish i was talking about that this morning really not true but he tried to say certain books don't seem to we don't count as authoritative other books we do and he started piping up and people started listening to him and so those who were gathering together the scriptures use people like him who are a pain in the neck to say right we've got to work out what we can trust because we've got people like him who are real problems and we need to gather together what we can trust so actually again god is sovereign he's in complete control he uses annoying people like marcion to actually help our bible be brought together So he's done us a great favour. I said about the Gospel of Thomas, well that wasn't discovered until much, much later. But interesting, you read the Gospel of Thomas, the tone and the focus is very different to the other Gospels. That's why there are four Gospels and not five. Uh, And you can read all sorts of literature about that if you're interested. And the last one which I think uh, is really key, and Alan really helpfully pointed this out last Sunday evening, the books need to bear witness to Christ. He made the really helpful point, look for Jesus in every book of the Bible, and it's a massively important thing. Uh, And all the books that we have in the Bible are about Jesus. Every single one, even Genesis, even Leviticus, it's about Jesus. Might be harder to find him, but he's there. Uh, And uh, as we read our Bibles together, we'll see him. Look to Jesus, because it's a story, remember? Old Testament promises, New Testament fulfillment. There are other things, but those are the five key that I hope will encourage us, that we can have real confidence in the word of God. Uh, on our handout uh, there are some councils that came together where different people gathered together to kind of authenticate all of this Uh, you can look at them if you want but the new testament canon the collection of new testament books came together in 397 ad so a little bit after jesus but there's been an amazing process where god and his sovereignty has checked out and made sure that everything we have in our bible is trustworthy uh, just briefly, what about the Apocrypha? Some of you might know about the Apocrypha. Um, the Apocrypha comes from a Greek word that means obscure or false. It's basically books that don't seem to fit. Um, they were never, The Apocrypha was never recognized by the Jews. It was recognized later by Greek Gnostics. Um, Gnostics are... It comes from the word gnosis, knowledge. There were people who kind of sought after special spiritual knowledge and they kind of liked these books that were written later. But they didn't carry the same authority and so the Apocrypha isn't in our Bible because it's not the Word of God. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church included the Apocrypha in their Bibles at the Council of Trent in 1545. Um, but we don't have the Apocrypha in our Bibles because it's not the Word of God. So we don't need to worry about that. Um, Great. Is the Bible reliable? Um, We're not going to do tons on on this. Um, There's some brilliant books that you can read that will help you with this. I've put it in a sort of um, suggested reading. I've done it kind of like milk, skimmed, semi-skimmed, and full fat. Uh, So if you want a thin book or a fat book, uh, you know where to go. Um, But these are in the handouts. But I thought we'd just have a little look at, is the Bible reliable? I'm going to skip over the first few things that you'll be able to look at yourself. Um, But I want to give you great confidence by thinking about the copying process. If you look at that slide there... You've got the life of Jesus and the original manuscripts, so this would be something like Luke's Gospel that was written. And of course then, the manuscripts were copied, so there became more of them. Well, some were destroyed or buried, because that was what would happen. Some would wear out, but some continue. Now the copying process is really interesting. Let me just read you a little story. A young monk arrived at a monastery. He's assigned the help of Uh, he's assigned to helping the other monks in copying the Old Testament canons and laws of the church by hand. He notices, however, that all the monks are copying from copies, not from the original manuscript. So the new monk goes to the old abbot to question this, pointing out that if someone made even the smallest error in the first copy, it would never have been picked up. In fact, that error would have continued in all the subsequent copies. The head monk says, we've been copying from the copies for centuries, but you make a good point, my son. He goes down into the dark caves underneath the monastery where the original manuscripts are held in archives in a locked vault. He goes down to look for him and he sees him banging his head against the wall and wailing. We missed the R. We missed the R. We missed the flipping R. His forehead's all bloody and bruised and he's crying uncontrollably. The young monk asks the old abbot, what's wrong, father? And with a choking voice, the old abbot replies, the word was celebrate. Celebrate. You might need to explain the joke. (laughs) Okay. Silly story. The point is, the copying process was very secure. Uh, When scribes were copying, if they made the tiniest mistake... It wasn't like they had a computer where they could just press delete. The tiniest mistake, they would rip it up and start all over again. They were absolutely meticulous. Serious, serious OCD, the scribes. They wouldn't have been great um, social people to hang out with, but they were brilliant at writing... And they would have copied really, really carefully. Um, Some of of you will know something about the Dead Sea Scrolls that were found in uh, 1947 in the caves. Well, there were about 900 scrolls. 200 of them, at least, were biblical manuscripts. And the copying, when they dated these manuscripts, they were written way, way after the original manuscripts. And they compared the originals with some of these copies. And the detail was immense. The number of mistakes was so tiny that it's helped us to have great confidence that the copying process is really, really trustworthy. Um, but you think about this little diagram okay? if you want to have confidence in the New Testament two things matter don't they firstly the number of copies if you've got more copies then you can check all the different copies and if there are lots of differences you'll think well this isn't trustworthy the other thing is age because the older the manuscripts in other words the closer they are to the original ones the more trustworthy because if someone wrote a story in the first century and then it wasn't then copied until way way later there could have been a huge number of mistakes if you read some of the scholars, they will tell you that the evidence for the New Testament completely outweighs any other evidence for any other classical literature. Just look at this diagram. It's quite small. Let me move out of the way. You might have heard of Homer's Iliad up there, the Greek poem about the Trojan War. Uh, you might have read that at school. You might have read some of Plato, who was a Greek philosopher. Um, some of these Greek or Roman historians. If you just have a look at when the original documents were written and look at the oldest surviving copies, do you notice something about the four Gospels? Just take a moment to take that in. you can trust the New Testament just from a historical point of view. Forget theology, forget your spiritual life. Just from a historical point of view, you can seriously trust the New Testament. You see, there's only a few manuscripts, copies of the originals of these stories that you read, that you learn of in history or classics when you go and study at university, and yet you believe the things that are written are true. You come to the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Look at this. They were only written within a generation of the life of Jesus. If Jesus died in 33 AD... 64 is probably when Mark's Gospel was the first Gospel to be written. Pretty much 30 years after the life of Jesus, one generation. And John's Gospel, somewhere in the 90s, maybe. That's only maximum 60 years. Probably still the lifetime of one generation. Look how many copies there are that exist. You can go down to the British Museum and you can read some of these. It's amazing when you go in. Absolutely staggering that shows you that God is in being in complete control of his Bible being written because we have so much confidence that what we've got here is the word of God you can forget all the detail just remember 30,000 is amazing and you can read these New Testament documents you know a lot of my friends will say oh the New Testament is not reliable you just have to show them this and say you don't actually know what you're talking about it is reliable there's lots of hearsay you can have amazing confidence in the word of God um On the back of your handouts, um, I put in some key dates of how our Bible got translated into our language for you to look at. Um, I won't go into it now, but I just want to make this point and we'll close here and then have five minutes for questions and then we'll pray. When you look at this on your handout, I just want to encourage you, treasure your Bible. Treasure it, because people have given their life, literally given their life, so that you can have God's word in English. People have given their life, and you can look up on the sheet here some of the key people who have done that, and you can read them in history books, it's staggering. But people have given up their life because they were so convinced that this is the word of God, and they wanted you to have it in your own language. So perhaps for some, your Bible is sitting at home, it's a little bit dusty, you haven't read it. I hope that this evening has helped you have confidence. It is written by God. It is written for you. You can have complete confidence that it's trustworthy, and people have literally given you their life so that you can have God's word in your hands. I think that's the most staggering privilege in the world. Uh, You know there are people over in China and other parts of the world who are screaming to have a Bible in a village, let alone, I've probably got 10, 12 Bibles in my home. We have this privilege, and what a better thing to do than to invest that privilege and to read God's word for ourselves? I think we'll stop there. I hope that's been helpful. Um, are there any particularly burning questions um, that we perhaps could pick up another time? That anyone wanted to ask, me not answer them now, but just be helpful. Otherwise, we'll just turn in our groups and spend some time praying. Okay, great. Let's just let's just turn in our groups just for a few moments, and let's just thank God for His Word. Thank God for the fact that we can trust it. Uh, and I'll close us in about five minutes' time. If you just uh, draw your prayers to a close. Uh, it's been great having you all here tonight I hope it's helped you um, I hope you continue to talk about this in the days to come if anything's unclear through these weeks or you've got some suggestions or things, anything wasn't helpful or could be done better just send me an email this week it's brand new material that I haven't taught before so it'd be great to just keep working on it and use it again um, but do please get in touch if I can do anything better to help you um, I put the handouts um, by the door on the way out I remember there were the A4 ones uh, some of them and then there were lots of A5 ones a bit neater and smaller Um, so uh, you can work out your eyesight and uh, judge accordingly. Um, But please take them away and use them. Um, Thank you for coming. I encourage you to stick around for some tea and coffee. We're going to close by singing a song that we sang earlier that will point us to God and his word.